This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumper. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Foster, alongside Ryan Shumpert, as always. And Ryan, it is June 1st. We are coming at you on a Thursday morning, bright and early here. Tennessee baseball set to play in the Clemson Regional this weekend, Friday through Sunday. So we're going to be previewing that and telling you all you need to know about the Tigers and about Tennessee's first-round matchup in the Regional in the Charlotte 49ers as well. So a lot to break down today. It's going to be a loaded show Ryan, just to go and jump in, it's June already. How did that happen? It is already June in the in the year of 2023. I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. I know it is crazy to believe, but it is June, and the start of June means all right. This coming weekend is uh, NCAA tournament baseball, so uh, that's the that's the exciting part of June. It gets a little more boring towards the end of the month. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's crazy how, how quick this year's flying by. It's going to be August before we know it. Yeah. Once college, I was talking to my dad about this the other day, like once uh, the finals are over and once college baseball is over, oh, whoa, we got Wimbledon for a week and then, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what else, but a couple of golf majors, but outside of that, golf, man, yeah. it, it is a black hole until football season. So prepare yourselves, but enjoy it while it lasts is what I'm trying to say. But anyway. Let's jump into it. Of course, Tennessee headed to Clemson this week, and we talked in our instant reaction about how this was a difficult matchup, given that Clemson's one of the hottest teams in the country. A couple of stat reminders. They've won 16 straight, 26 of their last 29. They are in the fourth national seed. But for Tennessee, they're not playing Clemson first. They're playing Charlotte first, and that game's Friday at 6 Eastern. Of course, the 49ers are Conference USA champs, have a pair of midweek wins over South Carolina of note this season. As we mentioned, not a super tough seed, but they can score runs, most notably thanks to Knoxville native Kim Fisher, who's batting 352, ridiculous 134 OPS, and 30 home runs, Ryan. Charlotte has a dangerous lineup, but I don't foresee Tennessee having much struggles with the 49ers here on Friday night. Yeah. See, I, I've I've had to fight myself from falling into that same because that's my general thought process too. Um, you look at it. I don't think this is one of the better threes. Charlotte, not that the conference USA is a terrible conference by any means, but certainly it's not a a multi bid league and they were a six seed in the conference tournament. And you know they weren't bad by any means, but it wasn't like they were the best team in the conference all year. Uh, and I guess actually wasn't a one big lead now that I think about it because. Dallas Baptist uh, got into it without winning it, so it was a multi-bid league, but they stole a bid, uh, essentially. But at the same time, baseball, it's teams at this point, the vast majority of them, especially if you're a three-seed, you have enough talent to win and to pull an upset. So, you know, I think Tennessee will win. Uh, I'm not picking against them, but I also don't think it's – uh, it's going to be a super easy game. I go to Liberty, and when they were at North Carolina uh, in 2019, this game I thought Tennessee would win. They did not. You go to Wright State two years ago. Obviously, they did win, uh, but that kind of shows you that you know, even Wright State was a four seed, probably a four seed that should have been a three seed. Uh, but that kind of shows you the capability uh, that uh, a lot of these teams have, and they may not be fantastic. And I don't think uh, this is an awful matchup for Tennessee, but I, I do certainly think Charlotte has enough talent to beat Tennessee. And Tennessee can't just show up and win by any means. 
Right, and it's the NCAA baseball tournament. I mean, that's the beauty of it. Anything can happen, right? So, you know, that's just another aspect of it. But, yeah, Cam Fisher's their dog. He's also drawn 61 walks. This guy's just a hell of a player. But also on the mound, um, Wyatt Hupel is the possible starter here. Only arm that has started every weekend for Charlotte. He's 6-6 six and six with a 4-4-4 ERA. What do you feel like is, you know, imposes more of a threat to Tennessee here for Charlotte, the pitching or the lineup? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably, I think it's probably the pitching, just because, and that's much more about. I think that's just where Tennessee's weakness is: is not being confident in the the bats to show up and have consistent success, and just being worried any game that they could kind of fall flat on their face. And yeah, Wyatt Hudipool is solid. I'm curious to see if. If Charlotte would go with him or Colin Kramer, Kramer is a lefty. He has not been an every weekend starter for them, but has a lot of starts, has started, I want to say, maybe three uh, midweek games against better opponents. And some of those, he only threw about 30 innings, so it was a kind of bit of an opener. Uh, but he performed well in those opportunities. And, and certainly, we've seen Tennessee struggle with lefties, and most notably in their very last game, uh, Texas A&M. And Jim Schlossnagel mm-hmm. specifically went. Uh, with a left-handed pitcher to face Tennessee. So I'm curious what Charlotte will do there. Uh, And it's not necessarily that I think either of those guys are just dominant. They've both been solid this season. They've both been good, Uh, good, not great. Um, But we've just seen Tennessee be liable uh, struggling at the plate against not even good pitchers, frankly, in some of these games. And while on the other side of things, Cam Fisher is fantastic. He's a stud. He's a guy Tennessee's got to be very worried about. And there are other solid bats in this lineup, but this isn't going to be a lineup that one through four, one through five. It's just like, man, Tennessee's going to be grinding to get through them every single time. And obviously we'll talk about who we think will be on the mound, uh, but whoever it is, it's going to be one of Tennessee's best guys. And I think you got to have some confidence in them. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, lefties that have shut down Tennessee, arguably the two that have shut down Tennessee the most are wanting for Texas A&M and Jarvis Evans from Georgia, who weren't even weekend yes. starters in their in the times they played Tennessee. So it's kind of crazy, you know, how Tennessee has struggled with some of these lefties with not even good numbers. But, yeah, that, that's a good point that Charlotte could throw Kramer. Yeah, let's move to Tennessee, though. Tony Vitello did not commit to Andrew Lindsay starting on Friday night. We know Andrew Lindsay's going to start this weekend. That's a given. But he could not start Friday. Is it, I mean, it's been two weeks since Tennessee's played. Not that that's a factor, but it's just kind of crazy to believe Andrew Lindsay hasn't thrown in two weeks. Do you think... Tennessee may save Lindsay for maybe a Clemson matchup and I don't know, maybe throw Drew Beam here on Friday night. What do you think is going to happen here with the Vols? I think they'll throw with Lindsay. And I think that's to me, just such an obvious move. And uh, Tony Vitello said, you know, obviously he didn't disclose what they're doing, but he said, you know, we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel, get too complicated on it. And to me, it just, it, it makes too much sense. How many times has Tony Vitello talked about, liking Andrew Lindsay leading him into battle for a weekend series, liking his, his mindset to be the to be the guy that starts a weekend for Tennessee. And then I think when you look at Andrew Lindsay, he's been so solid for Tennessee. Maybe his ceiling, you know, obviously we saw it once against South Carolina where it was really, really good, but there hasn't been maybe a consistently high dominant ceiling where like, man, when Chase Dolander gets going, it's like, who can hit this guy in the entire country? Andrew Lindsay maybe doesn't quite have that. But the floor is still very high. It feels like a bad outing for Andrew Lindsay. He's going to give up three runs in five or six innings, and you're still going to be in the thick of the game, in the middle mm-hmm. of the game. 
And when you're talking about facing a lineup that certainly has a dangerous piece, uh, but isn't just fantastic, you don't need someone that can just be absolutely dominant to be effective against them. I think it makes sense to go with the guy that you feel confident in leading you into a series that's Mr. Steady. And then you can turn around and if you beat Charlotte, uh, you have that extremely pivotal kind of winner's bracket championship game against Clemson game number two on Saturday night. And to me, that seems like a, a perfect time to throw uh, maybe your highest upside guy in Chase Dolander uh, against the Clemson offense that has a lot of really, really good bats and is probably the best offense in this in this Clemson regional. Right, absolutely. So you, so you think it's going to be pretty lockstep from what Tennessee's done for the majority of the back half of the SEC season where Lindsey throws game one, Dolander probably throws game two, then reevaluate game three, Beam will get a start. Or on Sunday, day three, Beam will get a start in there somewhere. Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, that uh, Especially on the, I think, Lindsey and the opener, Dolander, game two. Like, I just think that makes too much sense, and it's just a logical thing to do. And I don't think Tennessee will get too cute with it. Maybe I'll be surprised. Um, and then after that, yeah, I would agree. You would think Beam would start at some point. You would think it would be – uh, in game three on Sunday, but you know, you never know that one for sure. Maybe, maybe Tennessee gets a little more aggressive, uh, doing some other stuff. And, you know, Tony Vitello did talk about it on Tuesday that with the pitching, you kind of just go into each game with a plan and you do everything you can to win that game. And then you pick the pieces back up from there. And I think that kind of will be the case. You won't see Tennessee necessarily saving, uh, people outside of Burns and Lindsay to start, but given the fact that Beam hasn't had a ton of bullpen appearances this year, there's other guys they probably have more confidence in. It seems likely that he's going to get a start at some point in the weekend as well. Tennessee has a fourth starter. Do you think Halverson earned that role based off of his performance against Texas A&M, or do you think Tennessee could roll with an A.J. Russell or a Camden Sewell? If that moment occurs, what do you think Tennessee would do in that situation? Yeah, see, that's where I think it kind of goes to the point I was just talking about because, yes, I think Seth Halverson earned another look, but I don't think – I think the situation arises where Tennessee's already used Seth Halverson in one of these first two games, and they don't have the possibility to use him for more than just an inning or two to start a game, so they don't start him. So I think a number of things could happen there. I think A.J. Russell is a very plausible candidate. I think Hollis Fanning would be a plausible candidate. Heck, if you wanted just to do an opener, you could throw Xander Seacrest to – uh, obviously, we know can start games for Tennessee and, and be effective in the midweek. So I think the answer to that probably is no, that it's definitely going to be Halverson. But that's much less speaking about – it's much more to say Halverson's good and they might need to use him before that. And I just don't think they're going to kind of sit back on their hands and say, oh, we need to save Seth Halverson just in case we have a fourth game and we need to pitch him or need to start him, excuse me. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, that's – so far down the road, pretty much. I mean, that's, what, Sunday, so it's four days down the road, so anything can happen between now and then. We'll see how Tennessee uses that bullpen. And, of course, they'll probably have to play Clemson Saturday, so that could be a game. You know, Chase Dolander struggles. Tennessee may get in a little bit of trouble there, but anyway. And also, about Andrew Lindsay starting, got to see him throw against his former team, right? I mean, just from a yeah. fan standpoint, just seeing Andrew Lindsay go against Charlotte, that would be a lot of fun. Um, I know it was fun when Chase Dolander did it against Georgia Southern to open the 2022 season. So another little aspect there. Wild Tennessee is playing Charlotte in, game, in day one. Clemson and Lipscomb are playing before that. One Eastern is the start time there. It is not televised, though. It's on ESPN+. Plus. 
Clemson will likely beat Lipscomb. I'm not worried about the Tigers losing that game or anything, but Lipscomb does have a really, really good pitcher, Logan Van Trek, who's got a .91 whip, so they got a good arm for the Bisons. He'll probably start against Clemson. You know, it's baseball, anything could happen, but just something to keep an eye on there, who's on the mound for Lipscomb against Clemson um, in that early game on Friday. Ryan, let's jump in here with Clemson, though. Tennessee's probably going to play Clemson at some point this week, and I would be shocked if they didn't, so... Let's talk a little bit on them. Offensively, they're led by Billy and Mick, who's batting 418. Great OPS with 1.242, but he hasn't started the whole season for them. Um, Cam Canarell is another good bat who's batting 386. Will Taylor, another name to watch. He's batting 362. This lineup's pretty dangerous, Ryan, especially at the top. And they also got that guy, Caden Grice, who has 16 home runs. He leads the team. You know, he's not maybe their best complete hitter as he strikes out a lot. And, of course, we'll get to how dominant he's been on the mound. But Clemson certainly got some power. They do. And it, it's not a power-heavy lineup uh, because outside of – you have Caden Grice, uh, you have Amick who has 12 home runs, and then Blake Wright has eight. But besides that, no one's really even in the north single digits. Um, so there are power guys. There are guys that can beat you with power, but it's not a ton of power hitters, which I think bodes well. Uh, for Tennessee and just their ability to throw it in the strike zone. Now, at the same time, it is what Clemson maybe lacks in com- top-to-bottom power. They definitely have it in top-to-bottom contact hitting. It's uh, what, looking at it here, six guys that hit 300. Uh, just about everybody in the lineup uh, is going to be a difficult out. Um, it's very, very scrappy and kind of tets- – in a lot of ways, it's a very simplistic look at a team, and, and I think in almost some ways it's – can be perceived as dogging them just because it's you're not saying they're just overflowing with talent. But I think that's what maybe stands out the most about Clemson is that they haven't just been fantastic offensively or necessarily just did anything, but they just continue to scrap out wins and play good baseball, play clean baseball. It kind of reminds me of Kentucky in a lot of ways where we talked about them coming into that series of they're just going to play solid baseball. They are going to make you beat them. And that's really what Clemson has done. Now I think they're better than Kentucky. I think they have more talent. Uh, there is more impressive bats in this lineup than Kentucky has, but I think the way they beat you is in a lot of ways very, very similar. Yeah, I probably phrased that a little poorly. They don't have a lot of power, but they got some guys, some dudes with power for sure. Definitely. And when you saw the home run totals, I, I, you know, looked at their stadium and I saw it on Twitter where, you know, people were saying Clemson had a small ballpark. I didn't know, but then I got to researching it and you know it's it's a tad bigger than Lindsay Nelson saying but not much at all I mean we're talking little increments so it's a small ballpark were you surprised to see that the home run numbers were a little low for a team as good as Clemson has been yes uh, I was a little bit um, and I think the one thing you do have to point out is that the maybe this is just less on the top of what you said, but just in generally speaking is maybe they don't have a ton of home runs. They have an absolute ton of doubles. Uh, so they do get a ton of extra base hits. The one thing I would say, I was surprised they didn't have more home runs with the side, the dimensions of the park. It isn't, you're right, a ton bigger than Lindsey Nelson stadium. The one thing, and this is kind of just like an, I don't know answer is that, you know, Lindsey Nelson stadium, there's a lot of the, with the river and I don't understand all of it, but it, it plays smaller than it is, is what people always tell gotcha. me. Is that it well, plays smaller than the ballpark is. I wonder, you know, how exactly that works in Clemson as well. Well, I don't, I don't, I assume you have, but I don't know if you've ever golfed near big bodies of water, but if you ever have a putt, 
it's always going to break towards the water a little bit, you know? So yes. uh-huh. the river's behind the stadium. I, who knows? I'm not yeah. a scientist. I ain't a <laughs> yeah. water scientist or whatever, but maybe, you know, the gravitational pull or something makes it play smaller. I don't know. But that's a good point and, you know, something I can connect to putts breaking towards the water. So anytime I have a chance to throw in a golf yeah. reference, I will. But, uh, yeah, a lot of doubles. Clemson has uh, eight batters with – 10 or more doubles. So that's pretty impressive. They do get a lot of extra base hits. It does Clemson and they can run on you a little bit as well. They got three players with some pretty good base stealing numbers. Benjamin Blackwell's 25 of 31 on the season. Cam Canarilla mentioned um, his batting average earlier in the podcast. He's 24 of 28 and then Riley Bertram's 18 to 21. So they can run on you with a couple of guys Ryan here, not as much as Kentucky per se, but you know, they're fast. Yeah, there's going to be a handful of guys that Tennessee's going to be worried about when they get on base. I mean, those, the type of guys that, like, a concerted effort to, as much as a concerted effort as Tennessee's ever going to put in, of, all right, we got to worry about this runner. Obviously, that's not a huge emphasis uh, they put on at all. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, certainly a Clemson team that's very much capable of stealing bases against any team, and then Tennessee's obviously susceptible to that. 36 in the country in stolen bases. Clemson is in the 27th in, in doubles. When we previewed the Tennessee-Florida series, we talked about how Jack Caglione is the college baseball Shohei Otani. And while that most, you know, that's true, there's another one too. And Clemson has that player. It's Caden Grice. But Caglione's more of, he's a better hitter, right? He'll make his hay in the major leagues at the plate. Whereas Caden Grice probably will make his hay on the mound. Um, He's been super consistent for them, and he's he's been one of the better arms in the starting rotation. He has the best numbers of any starter, 3.25 ERA. He's 8-1 on the season, has 91 strikeouts, only allowed five homers. Dude's very, very good, Ryan, on the mound, and also he leads the team in home runs and RBIs too. Yeah, it's not bad, huh? Uh, yeah. You're right. It's, it's really impressive because – I think especially when you look at the fact that he's second on the team in innings pitched, like just the physical toll. And you kind of see that with Caglione, who has been better the back half of SEC play uh, and since that Tennessee series. But still, it's like he's getting to – you're trying to get him to like through five innings. That's like the most he's going to be able to give you. And some of that's just his pitching style and the fact that he's a little bit wild. But to just be able to have uh, the – consistency and it also just like the physical endurance to have thrown 69 and third innings on the season really effectively and then be in the lineup every single day and hitting really effectively is really impressive and you're right he's been probably their best pitcher and he has been certainly one of if not their best uh their best hitter in a, a really good lineup so he's he's an absolute stud i don't know hey, you know tennessee may see him on the mound i'm not sure who's their Friday guy um, who's been consistently for the season. But, you know, Tennessee may see Clemson twice and potentially even three times, you know. So Tennessee probably will see Caden Grice on the mound, I would imagine. Um, I doubt they'd throw him against Lipscomb, but we'll see. I mean, I could be wrong. But anyway, a couple bullpen arms to keep in mind for the Clemson Tigers. Reed Garris has two two five ERA on the season. He's pitched 28 innings. And then Nick Clayton, how about this stat, Ryan? He's 7-0 and on the season and hasn't started a game. Dude gets the wins. He has a 318 ERA um in 45 innings. So, you know, Clemson's got a pretty good pitching staff. I'm gonna ask you the same question I asked you about Charlotte. When you're looking at Clemson, do you think more problems will arise for Tennessee as far as their pitching staff or as far as what they bring to the table at the plate? 
Yeah, I think, again, when you look at it from the Tennessee perspective, my natural instinct is to say you're more worried about the pitching staff. And, again, that has everything to do with Tennessee's offense and my lack of – I don't even know if lack of confidence is the right word because I think they're certainly very capable. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Tennessee's offense went out and had a great weekend, and they won the regional. Uh, but that is more concerning than, to me, Tennessee's pitching. But with all that being said – I think Clemson's offense is just much more impressive than their pitching staff. And it's not that their pitching staff's bad. I just think the fact that to have the number of guys in the lineup that are 300-level hitters, and obviously not everybody, there's only really two good power hitters uh, with the, from the home run standpoint, but have two guys that can consistently hit doubles, to have the three guys uh, that can steal bases at a high rate, like that's just going to put a lot of consistent pressure on Tennessee's pitching and I think even more so on Tennessee's defense all weekend long. And certainly the defense has been better the back half of the season, uh, but that has been an area of concern for Tennessee. And when you go into a big week of baseball where the margins are really small and the pressure is really high, I think you have to uh, be concerned or at least on the lookout for Tennessee to be need kind of the need to be dialed on the defensive end and to be crisp against a team that certainly is going to put a lot of pressure on them uh, on that side. So if Tennessee's going to get out of this regional, who's got to step up? What what do you what 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 does Tennessee need to do? Give me two keys to a Tennessee regional win here this weekend. Number one key: Chase Dolan or shoves. And uh, this yeah. is. Uh, assuming Tennessee goes the way I think they do and they pitch Andrew Lindsay in game one and they play well enough to win that game, which I think they will. And then chase Dolan there against Clemson. I mean, it's, it's a double elimination tournament, which obviously complicates things, but boy, if you win a single elimination part of the tournament, you're in a really good spot to win the tournament. So if you win your first two games, you are in by far and away the catbird seat. Doesn't mean you can't win without winning them, but you are in the catbird seat, which means, to me, the most important game in the series is going to be Chase Dolander getting the ball uh, in what I believe will be game two against the Clemson, a uh, good Clemson lineup. And Dolander coming off his best performance of the season where he looked like 2022 Dolander. If he does that again and can lead Tennessee to a win, I think they're going to be in a great spot. I think they will win the Clemson regional in that case. Um, if they, and, and if they win that game. If they win that game, I think they'll win, yeah. I mean, Clemson would have to turn around and play one more beat game with them and then beat them twice. Um, and Tennessee will have the advantage with the pitching numbers at that point. Um, and then I think number two, I think it's – I'm. you could go a lot of different ways. Um, I think you could be – it would be a good take to just point to a handful of the important bats in the middle of the lineup that have been inconsistent and say, hey, they did well. I'm going to stick on the other side of it. I'm just going to say – Tennessee is good defensively, and particularly they're good up the middle infield uh, with Christian Moore and Maui and Huna being consistent. Uh, maybe uh, Huna makes a couple nice plays, and Moore you, just avoids the errors and, and keeps his chest in front of some hard-hit balls that he's let get past him uh, here this season. There you have it. Tennessee's offense definitely going to need to show up, though. They can't do what they've done so many times this season and just be lifeless. Definitely. Tennessee's offense is just going to have to play no matter how good the pitching is, but you know. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you Jay, think? Do you think Tony, do you think Tony mixes up the lineup? Like it's, it's just fascinating. I was going to ask you, but I thought it may have been a dumb question because I feel like we've gotten in this rhythm, you know, with you know, Tennessee's gotten in a rhythm with this lineup that they just start who they start and maybe they'll adjust yeah. the order. But I mean, yeah, potentially 
you could I, I just don't know who like the DH spot it's Merritt Dryling and KT you're not taking Insley and Scott out and you probably got Jared Dickey back in left field I assume he's healthy enough to you know play yeah. full 100% so that DH spot I mean it's just a revolving door all have a lot of power all have potential to come up in clutch moments but you know we haven't seen any of the three just be super dominant you know game in game out so I don't know. I feel like Blake Burke stays in the, towards the bottom of the lineup, though. I don't think that's changing. So, or bottom of the order, you know. Um, I think they should want Tony should want a Griffin Merritt or something in the cleanup spot because you got to get some rhythm going early. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And you know, the one the one I just keep waiting for is to take Malia Huna out of the leadoff spot and put Christian Scott in there. But I don't know. There hasn't been any signs of that happening, so it's probably probably fool's gold for me to sit here and think think that it may. I feel like Malia kind of gets a bad rap. He's had I some com- pretty. No, I agree with. I completely agree with that. I just don't think he's a leadoff hitter, and I think Christian Scott's like a quintessential leadoff hitter. He strikes out too much. Yeah, Malia strikes- does. I, yes, and that's why I'm completely with you. I think Malia is far better than fans and most people give him credit for. And it's a it, to me, it's pretty easy why he doesn't get credit. Is you sit there and watch him, and he strikes mm-hmm. out in such awful fashion so consistently <laughs> that he just consistently fails the eye test. Like you just watch this guy, and it's like he sucks with these strikeouts. And obviously, that's not true. Obviously, it's one. It is extremely hard to hit a baseball, and extremely easy to strike out. But two, and the you know more realistic looking at him compared to his peers, he's been extremely productive for Tennessee. Uh, offensively, especially in SEC play. He's really been one of uh, their best hitters. He has a ton of doubles in SEC play. Just, I was just about to, yeah. Has a lot of, he has a lot of clutch. He honestly has a lot of clutch hits for Tennessee too, which I think is the thing that maybe makes me feel even more like put the guy in the middle of the lineup because he's been able to deliver in some clutch spots. Uh, but yeah, 291 in SEC play, 11 doubles. Uh, he's been good. Like he has been good, but the strikeout numbers and particularly the way the strikeouts look, make it easy to forget sometimes. 11 doubles in SEC play. Next closest is Griffin Merritt and Christian Scott with six. He's almost doubled the next closest Tennessee player in doubles in SEC play. That's pretty crazy. And as we were just talking about Clemson and all the doubles that they have, he would lead Clemson with 18 doubles. There you go. Yeah, uh, and Mick has the most with 17. So... Yeah, Maui's been good, and yeah, yeah he's definitely gotten a bad rap this season. But I think I think you're right though. That's a good point. He strikes out in that fashion. He's a leadoff hitter, so you see more at bats for Mahuna, and so you see the more strikeouts. They're, you know, they're more apparent, I guess, than yes, whoever's in the six or seven hole, if you will. But yeah, I don't see a lot of changes coming for Tennessee's lineup this weekend. I think it's going to be pretty lockstep. You'll have a couple of pinch hit at bats for Kavars, Tears, Dylan Dryling, Griffin, Merritt, whoever doesn't start, you know, but. Outside of yeah. that, I don't see much going on. No, I, I don't think anything uh, rapid or anything crazy uh, that they'll they'll do to get anybody else in the mix. So you said Tennessee wins the regional if they win that Saturday game against Clemson. I assume you think Clemson wins the regional if the Tigers win that Saturday game. Yeah, no, I do, and I'll, I'm taking Clemson to win the regional. Um, and it's more from just uh, you got to to me. It's you look at it, and it's that's the most likely scenario. They've been the better team. They're playing at home. Uh, Tennessee's had struggles on the road. Their lineup hasn't been consistent. I think Tennessee. You know, I think Charlotte's not a fantastic three. I think Tennessee has the harder first game. 
And if you, boy, if you lose your first game, it's nearly impossible to win this thing. Uh, so just looking at all those factors to me, that makes Clemson more likely to win this weekend. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I think Tennessee very, you know, has a very real chance to win this thing. And uh, I wouldn't put their chances too, too far uh, below Clemson's. And it's what we've been saying literally all year that this team has the talent to make a deep run. We've seen them play better. They st- still have issues. They haven't fixed everything. They're not a perfect team. But we know that they can play at a level capable of winning. Now it's just a question of will they go out and do it in the biggest weekend of the season to date. So if Tennessee beats Charlotte, which is what we're picking, and if Clemson beats Lipscomb, Tennessee will play Lipscomb on the second game on Saturday while Charlotte I mean, Clemson. and Lipscomb. Yeah, what did I say? You said Lipscomb. Yeah, they sound too similar. I'm getting too confused. <laughs> the, the names of the teams are too similar. What are we doing here? Anyway. Tennessee Clemson is the nightcap on Saturday, while Charlotte and Lipscomb play an elimination game at noon on Saturday. So if Tennessee loses against Clemson on Saturday nights, they will play more than likely Charlotte in an elimination game Sunday at noon. If Tennessee wins that, which is what I assume we would pick, that would be their third game of the weekend, they would then have to beat Clemson twice. So Tennessee's looking at a five-game regional, of course, if they lose to Clemson on that Saturday night, and if they want to win the regional, you know, so going to be tough to do that, to beat Clemson back-to-back yeah, it, on your fourth and fifth game of the regional. Yes, it, it will be, and if you lose, I think the way it works out, if you lose your first game, it becomes a six-game regional if you want to win it, so maybe my math's wrong about that, um, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's a very hard path, and I do think the thing that bodes well for Tennessee, if they are in that path, is do have good pitching depth. A lot of teams are just poised to basically lose out of pitching before they get to that last game. Tennessee in 2019 uh, would have ran out of pitching if they had gotten. They were on the last outs of the pitching they had as they lost the to North Carolina in game one of the regional final. Um, but this Tennessee team, you know, not to say that some guys wouldn't have to step up, but they have good options and they would be able, uh, I think, to to piece it together from a pitching standpoint. It's just a, a largely uh, – you brought it up. It's largely a question of what Tennessee offense shows up and can they avoid having a game and certainly can they avoid multiple games of just being a complete dud offensively. As a reminder, whoever gets out of this regional will more than likely play Auburn in the Super Regional. Um, so Auburn would host if Tennessee gets out. Of course, Clemson would host if they get out. But you know, as far as Tennessee fans go, who cares at that point? But that is what Tennessee would look like would be looking at if they get out of this regional. Ryan, what's your thoughts? You know, we got a couple more minutes here on this podcast. What's your thoughts on uh, South Carolina hosting over Campbell and the RPI system as a whole? I just want to get your thoughts on these things because they've been a little, they're always a little controversial around selection time with this NCAA baseball tournament. Yes. And I'm, I'm not well-informed enough to have a super valuable opinion. I I would just say I think there is certainly a disconnect in the RPI. Like, uh, I can't remember what the example, because I was sitting there working during it, but they showed one uh, example during the selection show, and I want to say it was a, a West Coast team. I don't even think it was a Pac-12 team. It was like a UC Irvine. And That's who like it was. It was UC team. Irvine. Yep. UC Irvine and maybe Kansas State or some Big 12 team. And their resumes are so, so similar, but the RPIs are 30 points off. And it, it just feels like there's a disconnect there. Uh, it feels like there is 
I think this was a phrase used again by somebody on the show. There's too much emphasis on trying on the schedule for attempting to play a good non-conference. And you don't win those games, but you're still rewarded in your mm-hmm. RPI. So I don't really know what the fix is. I'm not smart enough. I do think it's at least to some level a flawed system. I think it's a little bit of a tough bag because when you're going to use a system like this, RPI, a net, college basketball, any sort of analytics type system, I think it's going to be flawed to some level. Now I think the RPI's flaws are uh, are large enough that you need to look and see what you can do to change it or alter it or whatever, find a new system. Um, so that's my general thought on that. I didn't study the Campbell, South Carolina case specific enough uh, to just come on here and be like, oh man, Campbell got screwed. What I will say is I think Campbell is better than South Carolina and I think Campbell will win that regional. <laughs> yeah, I saw I saw them get placed in that Columbia regional, and I was like, uh, Campbell's probably advancing because South yeah. Carolina has just not been good in the last month and a half of the season. I was I was shocked. I, I got to admit, I was maybe not shocked, but I was surprised they ended up hosting. And I yeah, was surprised I that Alabama was the 16th overall seed. That I was surprised by. Yeah, I, I really thought that they would be higher, and I really kind of thought. So one South Carolina would be the last team, and really of the of the South Carolina, Auburn, Alabama, who I think everybody agrees were the last three SEC teams, and I thought the order would almost be not completely flip flop. I thought you'd have Alabama and it'd be the highest seed of them, and then Auburn, and then South Carolina, yeah. and obviously that wasn't the case. But uh, you're right, I, and I thought it was funny they kept one of my complaints with the show is they kept showing like the, you know how they announced all the uh, host teams at the beginning, which had already been announced, but they did the order one through 16 and they showed the teams. And I, what I was going to say was Alabama, you could tell, was very surprised they were 16. They thought they were going to yeah. be higher. But my, my point on the broadcast, then they went back and when they were going through the whole bracket, they once again showed the teams, the host teams, when they got to them. And it's like, why are you showing them? They already know that they're here. There's no react. What are a, a reaction are you trying to elicit from them? And it was just the most epic fail because they kept on showing the teams trying to get a reaction from them, and there was no reaction to get because they were being shown information that they already learned 10 minutes prior. They already know their seed, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like, Arkansas is the three seed. They don't seem too excited. I'm like, yeah, because they already know. They already, they already know. Like, why, are you, why are you showing them again? You already showed them earlier. The only thing interesting about it was seeing the Alabama players were clearly surprised they were the 16 seed. Why are we running it back expecting better reactions the second time? It made it made no sense. Also, I don't know how many teams didn't have the cam, but I think it was like less than 10, and Tennessee was one of them. Still yeah. Observation. Did they have one for basketball? Do you remember? Tennessee? Uh-huh. Or, yeah, I, th- I think they did. For the selection show? I think they did. Because they, they watched it in Thompson Bowling, didn't they? Yes. Yes, you're right. That's right. And I think they had a sh- I, I remember seeing some shots from that. Gotcha. All right, Ryan. Well, anything you want to add here before we hop off? That's all I got. Tennessee heading to Clemson. And so are Ryan and I. We will be in Clemson this weekend. Have all your coverage Friday through Sunday or Monday, however long Tennessee goes. Um, starting with the Tennessee-Charlotte game. That's 6 Eastern on Friday. And, guys, you heard it here first. The rest of the game times for the weekend are TBD. So you got that scoop here. Don't forget, be on the lookout for those 
times. Thank you for listening to the Rack Top Insider Press Pass baseball podcast. Follow everyone on socials here. We got Ryan at rshump00. That's S-C-H-U-M-P. You can follow me at Jack Foster Media. And as always, follow Rocky Top Insider at Rocky Top Insider on all your social platforms. We will have a regular press pass, if you will, talking Tennessee basketball coming into your feed very, very soon. Rick and Ryan are going to break down Josiah Jordan James coming back. Who saw that coming? And some other offseason news for the basketballs. Ryan, you said, this is a little teaser, I guess, for the podcast later. We got a couple minutes. But you said that in your time as a beat writer, this was the biggest surprise you've ever seen for Tennessee. Yeah, I think this across is Across most... all beats. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's most... Yeah, I think I think overall, definitely like news that happened. It was the most I'm surprised by, but I can't think of like even a game or an event or anything. Yeah, I was taking like more of news, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. But even even with that, I mean, I started covering the football team the week after uh, the the debacle, the debacle of the BYU game. They lost in two weeks after Georgia State, and I don't know. Maybe something that Jeremy Pruitt collapse surprised me more, but it, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's up there with anything that's happened. I mean, I when I say I was floored, I was I was pretty floored yesterday afternoon when that news came down. Well, be sure and listen to the press pass to hear Ryan and Rick break down that news. Everybody, have a great rest of your weekend and have a great start to the month of June. We'll see you next time here on the Rock Top Insider Press Pass. <laughs>